I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast, Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast and Ring RC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks, man. How are you? Good, good, good. Yeah. How was your festival stuff? <laughs> Very good. I was um, in Totnes for the Sea Change Festival. It was amazing. Had a great chat with Hasib Iqbal about my book, In the End It's All About Love. Hasib's a great dude. And shout out to Rough Trade for organizing an amazing event. Nice. And, and to the Bull Inn for just being absolute legends. Amazing. Legends. Yeah, yeah. Great vibes. So good times. Out there. Hashtag yeah, out good there. Times. Hashtag <laughs> festival season. S no Z Z N. N. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh yeah, I was gallivanting. I saw Carl. It was cool in the week. Oh yes. Right. Hang on a minute. Since we last spoke, yep. Musa Kwonga is now and Carl again are also uh, they've won more awards. Uh, good time. Oh yeah. Um so it's the Sunday Times Sports Book of the Year Awards. Carl won for You Are a Champion, his book with Marcus Rashford, and that has sold a quarter of a million copies, which is unbelievable. Wow. And I won with Ian for Striking Out. Incredible. Congratulations, children's man. book. Thanks, man. Yeah, good times, good times. Slightly sore heads at the end of it all, but you know, that's uh, all good. You know what I won this week? What's that? Absolutely nothing. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. you know, whatever. Oh, it's fine. No. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's fine. It's oh, good. no. So good, man. It's fine. It's not about winning for me. It's just about, you know, being involved. But you're right. So. You're, you're the people's producer. Oh, shut the up. The people's podcaster. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> fucking panda to me. <laughs> anyway, congratulations to you and congratulations to Carl. Very proud of you both. Oh, thanks, man. Second of all, thanks to everyone who bought tickets for the oh, Stadio yes. Extra oh, Live date. They were gone in a few hours. So thanks so much, everyone. We're really looking forward to seeing you all in London. It's going to be fun. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, so that'll be Saturday the 25th and Monday the 27th of June at The Social in London. Just you and me riffing. <laughs> oh, yes. Talking nonsense. Well, oh, dear. <laughs> I'm really oh, dear. Yeah, me too. I can't wait. Um, quick bit of admin. First of all, hope everyone's staying safe and well. And 
the Ringer FC schedule is going to change slightly. Well, just slightly this week. So but obviously this is going up Sunday evening, European time. So we're going to do a Stadio end of season mailbag on Wednesday. We'll record that Wednesday morning. It'll go up Wednesday late afternoon, Stadio time. And that'll be it for this week. Uh, so if you've got any questions for the mailbag at Stadio or hello at stadio.football if you want to email us. The following week we'll do a what if episode. We'll do a because it's been long overdue. So if you also want to get your what ifs in same places and then, uh, and then we'll see how we go. We might take a, a little small break before the women's Euros return mm. and I've uh, got to start thinking of ideas for this live show. So uh, I'm going to be like Pep. I'm going to lock myself <laughs> away and just be like, how do we do this? Do you know you don't? You need to be like Carlo. Do you know what? Just do, do what Carlo Ancelotti does, right? Just don't plan anything and just wake up and just go with pure Zen and vibes. So because actually, yeah, I mean, if, yeah, if I look at, if I look at who's won, if I look at who's been winning Champions Leagues and the quantity they've won them in, it seems like the ones who are just going off, just, hey, just let's let the Champions League flow through you. They're the ones that win more. If you think about it, like the X's and O's coaches are winning, eh, they're winning one or two, but like the big winners are like just floating through it. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? I'm really thinking about this as a theory. Yeah. through it. There you go. Yeah. Float through it. Just float through it. Let's just be a study ID. Just float through yes. it. <laughs> just float through it. It's fine. Merch come out of it. Oh, do you know what? Actually, before we get into the rest of the thing, can I also just shout out Danielle Brown, who actually was the joint winner of the Children's Book of the Year with us. Yes. Uh, for Run Like a Girl. It was absolutely lovely. Met her that. She's so lovely. Honestly, it was such a great night. Um, and just the vibe was unbelievable. And also, like, yeah, just, just generally, like, it's an amazing uh, atmosphere. And I know this is a bit, sound a bit like I'm pandering, but I want to also shout out Philippe Claire. Because he is someone who consistently at these events is pushing things forward. Like Aww. Football Writers Association, Sunday Times, it's always like, Philip's always the person in the room going, how can we do this better? And I've noticed that a lot, actually. And he's always, he's always on it. So yeah, I know that's a bit of a, it's a pandering shout out there, but I, Philip um, has done so much to push stuff forward in that area. So yeah, respect. Nice. All right, well, let's get on to today. So obviously so, the bulk of the show will be about the Champions League final. And we'll touch on a couple of other games after. We're recording this ahead of the championship playoff. So we'll mention yeah. that on uh, Wednesday Stadio, obviously Huddersfield against Nottingham Forest for a place in the Premier League. Very exciting. So yeah, let's get onto it after this. Let's do it. All right, man. So I think if it's all right with you, we have to split this into two parts because there was the off-the-field stuff and there was the on-the-field stuff of the Champions League final. And I think we should start with the off-the-field stuff because... Agreed. This is more important. And more significant in the long term too, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're all aware by now, obviously, kickoff was delayed by, what, 36 minutes due to the incident, let's say, or the situation outside the stadium before the game. How about the appalling security arrangements or the appalling... The appalling lack of organisation around a certain entrance point where the Liverpool fans were coming in, which was around... Mm. If you come off the Metro, I believe, at Stade de France, it's around the other side of the stadium. So I think the main Real Madrid part was as you come off the Metro and the Liverpool end was around the other side. And you've probably seen it by now. There's a really, really good piece by Daniel Austin in the Metro, which details mm. the whole situation Excellent. pre-game. And I just want to read this opening paragraph and then 
a couple of other sections from it because I feel like it's it summarizes exactly what was going on, probably way better than we could because obviously Daniel was there. So the opening paragraph is children trembling with fear, their eyes streaming from an arid yellow wave of tear gas billowing through the barriers, an elderly man crumpling in on himself as he suffers a panic attack in a crushing crowd and cannot move, women being kettled by state-employed bullies with reinforced shields. And I'm going to go on a little bit further. After thousands were forced to spend an hour at a standstill under a bridge without access to toilets or water in 22 degree heat, the ticket checks that had been taking place at the end of the underpass were abandoned, meaning anyone and everyone was permitted to enter the area around the stadium whether they had a ticket or not. From there, the situation worsened. Turnstiles were closed by stewards at around 6.30pm local time, two and a half hours before kickoff without any warning, sorry, without warning or any explanation. The same stewards then abandoned their stations, refusing to communicate with perplexed supporters who had arrived early to enter the stadium in good time and enjoy the atmosphere. What followed was carnage on a scale which was dangerous to the extent that the idea of lives being lost was at times realistic. If I may, I just want to add one more actually, Ryan, one more paragraph that really yeah, sure. um, struck me in that piece. The match was played and Liverpool lost, but none of it really mattered anymore. I felt deeply ill throughout the 90 minutes unable to concentrate on passages of play with the fear and panic etched on people's faces repeating over and over again in my mind. Those football fans, people who wanted to attend a game and back their team to the hilt, feared serious physical harm or worse, and the terror was painfully visible. Yeah, uh, just one other thing as well. Rob Draper, uh, who was at the game, wrote a thread that I reposted on Twitter about this. And there's one bit in there, which I think uh, Dan's piece also mentions there was a pressure point which caused the majority of problems. Police had for some reason parked three or four vans across the paths, making a broad walkway suddenly narrow, causing a bottleneck. There were multiple accounts from multiple different, let's just say types of people, because there were fans, yeah, yeah. there were journalists, Everyone. there presenters. were officials, there were presenters, all kinds. Kelly Cates was there. She was in uh, entering the stadium. She echoed multiple reports. There was one bit where she said that she had to climb up onto this ramp to avoid a crush, basically, to get into the stadium. A senior official close to one of the teams climbed over a barrier themselves. Yeah. Un unreal. Uh, Andrew Robertson, yeah. he was interviewed after the game and he said a friend of his was refused entry for having a fake ticket. Robertson said it clearly wasn't fake because it came from me. There were reports of people scaling the fences. Now, on the ground, mm. there was some really good reporting by Tarek Panja on the ground and also yeah. Rob Harris. Multiple other journalists did a really, really great job of covering what was going on outside. Carve Solgahol, the uh, Sky did a great report, didn't he, with the visuals of the yes. kind of spaces the supporters are forced through. One consistent account was that it was alleged that the, the majority of people scaling fences were locals who didn't have tickets to the game. And actually multiple Liverpool fans were seen and heard and telling these people not to scale the fence and jump into the stadium. So because of the in like because of the the chaos around that area, people are obviously taking advantage of this. This is something that we saw similar at Wembley last year for mm. the Euros yeah. final. Yeah. But I just want to read a couple of other um things quickly before we talk about this. Mm. Merseyside police, there's a like a match day Liverpool allocation if you like. They were they they were deployed to this this fixture. And they posted a tweet saying, can only describe it as the worst European match I've ever worked or experienced. I thought the behaviour of the fans at the turnstiles was exemplary in shocking circumstances. Christian Walsh wrote, it's easy to do that, ah, this result didn't matter once we experienced that beforehand when you lose, but I felt absolutely dead throughout the 90 minutes. The look of panic on people's faces, crushes, tear gas, horrific. Absolute disgust, 
absolutely disgusting and shame on anyone blaming fans. Jim Beglin, the commentator afterwards, now this um, was reported in multiple sources. It was also in Daniel's piece for the Metro. Post-match last night was the scariest I've ever experienced. Organised gangs set about mugging departing fans. We ran a gauntlet of thuggery on our way to the Metro. Not a police officer in sight. Witnessed so many ambush attacks on unsuspecting attendees. Um, there was another one from Asif Kapadia, the filmmaker. He was there. He's a Liverpool fan. Champions League final in Kiev was very well organised. Security check was a kilometre from the stadium. Madrid was very good, felt safe, organised going in and out. Yesterday in Paris was terrible, a mess, dangerous. Whoever is responsible for organising it should go. Could have been much worse. Um, Chris Hall wrote, The worst atmosphere I've ever experienced. Riot police indiscriminately tear-gassing fans, including kids and my colleague. Fans literally locked in, so had to climb 10-foot gates to escape. Dozens of locals, one stole my phone, breaking into the stadium to cause trouble or steal. But UEFA continued to blame Liverpool supporters who, despite extreme provocation and distress caused by woeful organisation and heavy-handedness, were well-behaved from what we saw. Supporters saying the crush before the game felt like Hillsborough all over again. I can't imagine the trauma this must have triggered for many. Stefan Ersfeld as well did a great thread of just reposting all of the mm. videos and stuff from outside the stadium beforehand. And I just want to read one more. God, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Steve Douglas, who is a sports reporter for the Associated Press, reposted a tweet from Rob Harris, his colleague, saying UEFA staff had to intervene to prevent security personnel going after media to stop filming as tear gas was being deployed. Steve wrote, I got bundled into a hut by a security guard, told to remove accreditation and then forced to delete video footage of the crowd issues, otherwise I wouldn't be allowed back in. Now, I could go on. We could be here for an hour recalling all of these. We could, we could. And part, I, I, wanted sense, to, I wanted to read yeah, you all I'm of glad, those. I'm glad you did that. I'm from the start, because some of the shit that was going around on social media beforehand, this could have been supporters from your club. This could have been Spurs fans. This could have been Chelsea fans. This could have been fans of any club in Europe, right? This could have been your family, your friends, your loved ones. Like I spoke to my friend Ash, who I mentioned the other day, who yeah. was going to his first ever Liverpool game. And I said, are you in yeah. okay? And he said, yeah, thankfully, we were here so early. Obviously, he was being a keen bean because it was his first yeah, Liverpool game. But he said, even hours before kickoff, when we got in, you could see it was going to go bad. I'm glad that you've said this. And I, I was very anxious about two things in particular. The first thing, I mean, the H word, like reminiscent of Hillsborough was the first thing I was thinking. I didn't want to sort of mention it on socials because it wasn't my place to. But I looked at that and just thought, how must that feel as a Liverpool fan? raised with that story of Hillsborough and the kind of crushes you saw and the spaces you saw. I mean, that if any scene or scenario was designed to recreate, you know, those fears, it was that. And the way the Liverpool fans were herded, it was almost like, it's very dehumanising, to be honest. And not just like from people on social media, banter accounts who think this is stuff is, is funny and, and making, making jokes about it and Liverpool fans and all the rest of it. Not just that, but UA for themselves, for them to put that statement, this is the thing that's yeah. really shocking to me. Now we're in an era of like disinformation, right? For disinformation to come from the people that are organizing the very tournament, for them to put up a statement on the screen inside the stadium going, due to fans arriving late. Now, there were the, a couple the, the of people who said, yeah, yeah, they, there was a couple of people who said that the reason they did this, and I don't agree with this, but they said it was to try and remain or like maintain a sense of calm within the stadium. Yeah, see, here's the thing. I, I disagree. It's, non it's nonsense because here's the thing. There's a thousand things you can tweet. You can be like, 
um, due to admissions, due to the admission of fans, kickoff is delayed. Mm-hmm. Due to the orderly admission of fans, the kickoff is delayed, right? That's how you, because if you're talking about fans arriving late, when everybody outside is like, we've been here for three hours and mm-hmm. everyone knew they'd be there three hours early. Why? Because actually Paris is very close to the UK and a lot of people made a weekend out of it because why shouldn't they? Because you know what? It's a beautiful thing to do. A lot of people travelled without tickets because actually just being in Paris, because it's a lovely city, for the Champions League final, the team is there. There were fan parks there. Thank you. That's the whole point. You you can legally go to a city to enjoy a fixture without having to go to the stadium because there are fan parks there. But Rangers and Eintracht fans did it in Seville. We mentioned this the other day because there were issues at that final as well that went a little bit under the radar in the aftermath. And you you can be there hours early. That's absolutely your right. That's absolutely your right. And the thing here about it is and I have to say this, this is completely consistent with UEFA just meddling with everything to always push and maximise profit this tournament. They have taken the players and the supporters for granted in ways that frankly are at best disrespectful and at worst horrific. These players have given UEFA the best knockout round I've seen in years, right? Like that's the tournament. All UEFA had to do and sit there and eat their food. All they had to do was organise an orderly admission process for this and we have a great final or a final conducted in a great atmosphere. I'm not saying the football would have been necessarily scintillating because the last three finals have been like one nils, but here's the thing. Everyone could have gone away with a gorgeous feeling of, wow, UEFA, like what a great tournament. But instead, we're having an increasingly atomized Champions League, taking all the fun out of it. And it's almost like, this is a, this is a, almost like a this is a symptom of UEFA consistently putting fans last. This is great you said this, because I was going to say there's, there's almost like a social ladder Thank you. Yeah. of priorities within UEFA yeah. and FIFA. Absolutely. But we're talking about UEFA specifically and, and yes. football in general, but we're focusing on UEFA in this, in this instance. Fans are consistently at the bottom and players are the next one up. Yes. And the fact that UEFA continue to get away with this, we've said this before on this podcast that when the Super League stuff was happening, we stressed that this does not make you way for the good guys. No. I actually think we should do an episode on this another time because this is something that I think we should talk about a little bit more. Mm. UEFA had a free hit in the aftermath of the Super League and they fumbled it at every single opportunity. Yeah. So let's put it this way. This is essentially like a, a huge corporate organisation, right? UEFA. You know, you have to say like football mirror society and it does, it does in many ways. And one of the ways it does is that it's essentially become a fully capitalist structure. Yeah. At which you wait for a heart of that in Europe. When football mirrors capitalist society, then you get an extension of the behaviours that are apparent in other parts of capitalist society outside of football. And that includes police brutality. Absolutely. And you saw it yeah, there. Yeah. Like I've been watching uh, We Own This City, right? The, uh, the David Simon thing that's based on the book by Justin Fenton about police corruption and stuff in, in Baltimore. Essentially like the, there's the prestige TV on the ringer, by the way, amazing podcast. They've been doing some recaps on this. And I, I know it's a bit of a leap to kind of put that in there. No, it's essentially it, the same it. fucking thing. It's essentially the sa- it's an extension of the same behavior that you have a uniform or you have a suit and you're protect- protected by this kind of like mirage of authority and you treat everyone who you see as below you like absolute shit. And that includes players and that includes fans. Yeah. And the stuff that we saw outside the stadium, it comes from the same place. Branches of the same tree. Yes, yes. Exactly. I know a lot of people might be listening to this, rolling their eyes, being like, here they fucking go, these two again. But... Yeah, but so what, actually? Sorry, sorry. yeah, this is really important, yeah. People could have died. That is the, the one sentence 
that I would throw back at anyone saying you're making too much of this. And it's down to the conduct of the fans alone that they didn't. And I don't even want to say in 2022, because actually the year shouldn't fucking matter. We saw it at the African Cup of Nations this year. People died going to a football match because of poor organisation. The same Mexico has happened as well. here. Mexico as the well. The same could have happened here. Mexico yeah. as well. They get a mix. Sometimes fans are going to act up. We saw it at the Euros. We've seen it everywhere. We've seen it in France all season. There's been like widespread fan trouble, but a lot of that comes down to how people are policed. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing as well, like the Liverpool fans, and this again, I would just stress this, the conditions they were in, it is remarkable the patience they showed when they were ushered mm-hmm. through and kept in, you know, hemmed in and like people are probably getting dehydrated and exhausted and crushed. People didn't panic. People didn't go for self. People coordinated. The reason I mention that and have to stress that is because they were the first demographic to be demonised for this failure. The second, de- the second demographic was the local opportunists trying to climb fences. Here's the thing. Anyone that's been to a music festival anywhere knows that people, the moment a gap opens up, they're going to go in and try to do whatever. That happens at music festivals. There's a breakdown in organisation. It's very easy in these moments, these emotive moments, to blame anyone but the structures responsible. And we have to keep focus on that. And I'm glad that we've started with this segment because frankly, in an ideal world, we'd be talking about the football, which we'll get yeah. to because we love talking about football, but this has to be a marker we have to put down and be like, it's wild that UEFA thought they could get away with, with this. And here's the thing as well, like we're not getting into the football yet. Like the, the pre-match concert, for example, I saw that and no disrespect to the artists performing, no disrespect to that. It was more like UEFA is trying to turn this into an event that the, the Champions League final is based an event for global eyeballs, right? And the concert that started was, was part of that. And it's based this, this attempt to, someone said it best on Twitter, someone said, why are you trying to turn the Champions League into the Super Bowl when the Champions League is more popular than the Super Bowl? And it's different. Not everything has to be the same and homogenised. No disrespect to the Super Bowl. Here's the thing. Yeah, but the got, Super Bowl is what it is. That is part yeah. of the culture and the experience. Right. And not every sporting event has to mirror each other in terms of what it is as a spectacle. I think this yeah. is this is again something that's really interesting. It's a minor gripe. This is minor compared to what happened before outside the stadium. But with with pre-match ceremonies or concerts that have co- have come into like um, the UEFA finals over the last few, however long now, like they actually make the atmosphere worse. Mm. There is no, the, the thing that is really special about Europe, like big finals in, in football is the atmosphere that the, the fans create themselves being in the stadium and that sense of yeah. that, the sense of uh, anticipation before a final by fans alone is yeah. all you need. And actually think yes. about this, the knock-on effects. Imagine if you had in the budget, the amount of money that that kind of ceremony costs to execute. Yeah. Imagine if that was mirrored in the ticket Yeah, 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 yeah. It's an event. It's a profit and loss thing. The amount of money that you would save on something like that that's reflected in the ticket price. Well, here's the thing. You're paying now. That ticket is that expensive because it's, it's an excuse to charge more because now you're paying for the artist's performance as well. You're paying for a gig that you didn't plan to, but in order to watch the final, you've got to pay for the gig first. Here's the thing. Here's a radical idea. How about taking the money you'd have spent on the concert and just increase the wages of the security people? Because some people are accepting bribes yeah. to be let into the ground, which is obviously like, you know, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. At the same time, it also points to if you're faced with a staffing crisis like that, because frankly, this was a staffing crisis at a certain point. If you're a stadium official and you're looking at 20,000 fans who've been there for three hours and you've probably been told by your superiors to be slightly heavy handed with them because you've got tear gas on you for goodness sake, then there's also a responsibility to your workers within UEFA. 
there's a lot of um, attribution of responsibility going around here. And I know we've gone on, on at length here, but I think we just had to say that because we can't, in our own small way, allow this to be glossed over. No, you can't. Um, and I think Fans yeah, Europe, the supporters uh, groups, uh, which is like kind of made up of loads of, uh, of the supporters groups, there's an investigation, they're investigating it at the moment, I think, and they're putting together, they're going to release a statement. And if this isn't investigated and there aren't consequences for people at UEFA here, there has to be, mm. con- there have to be consequences for, for, yeah. for people at UEFA. There have to be. But it's also yeah. an extension of what's going on in France at the moment on the, on the floor with, with police stuff. There's a lot going on in France at the moment. There's, there's some really good essays and pieces about that people who've reported on what's going on. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this might be a bit mixed and this might be a changing situation by the time you've, you've listened to this. So we will revisit this that once there's actually been some action. Before we move on from that, it's worth pointing out that UEFA changed their statement a couple of times afterwards. Miguel Delaney actually wrote a tweet saying, UEFA statement blames thousands of fans who purchased fake tickets, yet the fans are saying that they had been told there were four ticket checks but found none. So there you go. It's, a base, it's like Miguel said, it's a basic failure of organisation. Yeah, you can always try and find someone else to blame if you're really fucking trying for it. Right. Sometimes it's on you. Yeah. Should we take a quick break and then move on to the football? Yeah, let's do it. All right, man. After that, there was a game of football that take, took place. There was indeed. And do you know what? It was a really, really good final. This is what is such a shame about everything that happened beforehand was that it was a really good final. Yeah, yeah. If you have been living under a rock. Or maybe you're a fraggle. <laughs> <laughs> In which case, listen. Stadios for everyone, including fraggles. Listen, exactly. We've got some angry fraggles writing to us. Listen, no disrespect angry intended. Angry fraggles. The disrespected fraggle 11. Is that what you want oh, to do God. next? <laughs> <laughs> Don't come for us. Liverpool nil, Real Madrid one. A goal from Vinicius Jr., what an Arkees had a story assist. Yes. We'll talk about Freddie Valverde later. We Should will. we start at the beginning? Because Let's do it. Liverpool were relentless to the point where after 17 minutes on the German commentary, a lovely German phrase was thrown out there. Einbahnstraßenfußball. <laughs> it literally translates to one-way street yeah. football. Brilliant. Brilliant. Liverpool were incredible in that opening stage. Thiago in particular. Yeah. Thiago and, in particular is And it's amazing. That, to be honest, their team sheet before the game was very encouraging from a Liverpool point of view, Liverpool point of view, because I think a lot, of, I think a few people thought that some of those, some of that lot might not make it. And the fact that they did was really encouraging. And uh, I screenshotted some stats from FopMob and put them in the Wrighty's House group after 20 minutes and it was just like, wow. The numbers are unbelievable, aren't they? The numbers yeah, are unbelievable. Do you want to give us some of them? I'll give. You, I'll have a look. Let me just. Uh, let me just bring it right up. Here we go. After twenty minutes, sixty-three uh, percent possession for Liverpool. 0.53 expected goals. Five shots. One hundred and sixty-seven passes. Eighty-nine percent completion rate compared to seventy-nine passes from Real Madrid. It was a domination. It was, and it and it, it, it was one of those ones where the stats back up the eye test. Yeah, the way that Liverpool were moving the ball, creating, I thought, decent shooting opportunities, the tempo. I actually saw some people talking about, oh, Liverpool had lost intensity because of all the games they played. I didn't actually have that impression. If you told me this team had played that many games, I wouldn't have thought it. I thought Liverpool were extremely impressive. Mm. And frankly, the only thing keeping them from that lead was Thibaut Courtois. Like mm. the save from Sadio Mane is extraordinary on first viewing and gets even better the more you watch it. This man gets down, back and across and palms it onto a post. 
look, there's really only, there's like one or two other goalkeepers in the world at the moment that are making a save like that. Maximum. Maximum, the way that Courtois is playing in a state of grace. I actually tweeted comparing him to Ike Casillas just because that reminded me so much of Ike Casillas in the 2002 against Leverkusen where he just was going to stop. He would have stayed, saved the next five hours of attempts on target. I thought that the team was the full strength one and it's easy to second guess after a game what the tactics should have been. But I thought the lineup was actually really good, Ryan. I liked that lineup. I, I went into the game thinking, okay, like that's, that's the team you picked to win. All the pieces are in order. Thiago now fully integrated into, into Klopp's team as the kind of creative heart of that. Switch the ball as a beautifully before. I thought the interesting thing here was, and I think you mentioned this in the chat, Danny Carvajal, the challenge there was down the right flank. Carvajal coming forward, but also defending because we'd seen him really being exposed and addressed quite severely in previous rounds, taken off as a sub in a couple of rounds in a row. But in this game, he held his own. Yeah, he did. Against Luis Diaz, perhaps the informed player in Liverpool's attack. He was, he was really impressive. Yeah, I said in the, in the group that that was the only slight, uh, hindsight was wonderful, but I, obviously, but I thought maybe that was the slight, if Klopp could have a do-over in terms of selection, I wonder whether that's the one. Because, mm. because I think Carvajal's really struggled with pace, against pace this season and Diaz isn't the fastest. And also, I think his late impact in games, like we saw it in the Villarreal game, for example, mm. the fact that he his his impact against a tiring backline has been amazing mm. this season. Now, the great thing about that Liverpool front three slash five, I suppose, if you include yeah. the yeah. subs in that, is that you they they're so often than not that you can more often than not you can switch in and out depending on game state and. It usually works and Klopp knows them better than anyone and he would, you know, it's not mm. like Klopp's, Klopp's riffing on this at all. But then at the same time, I kind of countered my own point in the fact that actually Real Madrid was so deep yes. that there wasn't really the opportunity to break in behind anyway, like Mbappe did against him or anything like that. So there were very few opportunities where he could have gone down the rail and yeah. he didn't. And yeah. this is the, this is the thing that I thought Real Madrid deserved quite a lot of credit for because the selection it didn't stop Liverpool from creating chances. They had it, no. there was that amazing stat at the end of the game, I think, or uh, it was, I think it was before the end of the game that Courtois saved 2.6 XG. So, oh my God, they weren't meat and drink stuff. There was that amazing, we'll talk about it, but there was an amazing one off Mane onto the post. And actually I saw a few people saying that that was the moment when that didn't go in. It was almost like, kind of like, oh my oh, God, shit. This oh no, that was the one, one chance kind of thing. That was a great effort as well. It was an it's amazing effort. effort. And I, I don't think Manny could have done anything else. It was just an no. amazing save from Courtois. And, you know, Liverpool still created. So this it wasn't anything to do with the selection. It wasn't even really anything to do with the ex execution bar a couple of other chances. But everything was in front of Real Madrid. They didn't, if you actually think about it, they didn't get turned very often. This had big Chelsea 2012 energy, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, and Lampard was aging and couldn't really get forward. Yeah. This, can I yeah. just say about, can I talk about Modric as well briefly? Luka Modric's defensive effort in this game was astonishing. There were times when he was virtually playing as a second right back. Mm. Very, very often when Carver Howard Point would, would push up and be in a kind of almost a right wing position, Modric would drop in alongside a centre back and it was unbelievable. He was playing this kind of almost defensive midfielder for a large part of it. Very often he would be the out ball. We've seen that before, of course. Very often he was the out ball for Courtois and he'd receive the ball in a deep right back position. We've seen him do that loads of times in La Liga, like when he'll run back from midfield and collect it. But this time he's doing it so much more. And I just thought that the amount of defensive work he did was, 
was just astonishing. And I was talking mm. about this earlier, like Modric's body language is often a tell. Mm. There was two points where they were building and obviously like it was hard for them to build up because they're sitting so deep that you really have to get the transitions right. And they messed that up a couple of transitions and Modric was just like, what are we doing? Like, mm. we're not getting many chances to play out because Liverpool are playing so well. But the fascinating thing, Ancelotti said this as well. Ancelotti said, after half time, we gain more control. And if you see the passing numbers, the passing numbers actually Madrid catch up. They catch up. It's fascinating. They're not playing necessarily offensively so much, but in terms of the short passing and regulating the ball around the back and switches and just getting on the ball and taking the kind of tempo and tension out of the game, they did that brilliantly. All of a sudden, the long and short passes started connecting. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily the long and short passes that kind of played through lines, because I thought Madrid were really patient. What was really smart, what they did, they weren't like, we're going to go for the killer pass every time. We're not going to do that because Liverpool are too smart for that. What we're going to do is vary the game, get our players to advance slowly. So when you saw in the first half, for example, first 20 minutes, it was like Madrid were pinned back. If you look at the second half and Madrid's territory and their possession, they weren't like on part of the Liverpool box, but they were occupying this space in the centre circle and they were quite comfortable. It was almost like Ancelotti was like, you know what? Let's just move up five yards at a time. Let's move up five yards at a time. And let's kind of win the arm wrestle slowly. And that's, that's kind of what they did prompted by Modric. Yeah, I agree. Um, we've been trying to figure out Real Madrid all season, right? And actually yeah. Real Madrid, in years, in years to come, there will be case studies done on the eight years from the Decima to this mm. 2022 final. Five and nine years. Yeah. Sorry, nine years, yeah. So basically, like, also this is the thing as well, like if you could go back and ask anyone about their, the way that they play or what, what is the identity of this Real Madrid side, could anyone really give you a straight answer? Not massively. Yeah. I, I remember we talked about this once on, on Wrighty's House, Carl, Ian and I, about Solskjaer when he was at Manchester United. And we were saying that actually maybe the, the strength there is the lack of philosophy, for want of a better term, and just the kind of like looking at what you have, very handsy flick at Bayern, like we've talked about for Hansi before. But I do think Hansi Flick has a, he has an ideology about how football should be played. But at Bayern, it was very much like, Let's get this thing back on track first. Look yes. at you all. You're all really good players. This is ridiculous. And then you start making this like tactical tweaks. Ancelotti has basically done that at Real Madrid this year. But this season, you've seen evidence of it in every round in terms mm. of the substitutions, when they happen, the effect on the game, who comes in when. You know, even like Carvajal, Carvajal getting hooked at one point at half time. Yes. But the replacements worked. And yes. if it happens once, you can say, well, Ancelotti kind of got lucky there. But you don't get lucky, right? You do not get Every lucky round. against you don't. PSG, Chelsea, Manchester City, and then Liverpool in consecutive rounds. No, you don't. Here's the thing, the brilliance and the brilliance of the coaching. He makes his first sub at 86 minutes. That is how well he coached this final. He yeah. did not need to make an on-field adjustment until the last four minutes. And He's a very ready, steady cook manager, I think. Love it. For anyone who doesn't know what ready, steady cook was, it was a TV show. There's a plastic bag with a lot of random ingredients and they pour it out and, it's, and they have two contestants and they ask what they're going to cook with it, basically. And that's kind of what Ancelotti is. If you think everywhere he goes, there, there is no consistency in terms of playing style or thread, I don't think. If you think, it's kind of so Real Madrid. What is Real Madrid's identity? What is the DNA of Real Madrid? It's just winning. It's winning. Do you know what they are? They're a contradiction because they're a club that's assuredly aristocratic, right? Yeah. 
And at You've the told, core, yeah, the, the blue collar at thing. At the core, yeah. there's a blue collar thing. They're it's like, an amazing they're, analogy, yeah. that. It's amazing. Do you know what I mean? And, and to me, that's how I feel about them. They're very blue collar. And this is why, and we'll come back to the game actually, because the point you've made is illustrated absolutely by the person who's decisive in winning it. Fede Valverde, who got the assist uh, for Vinicius at the far post, is the epitome, just like Lucas Vasquez before him, just like Luis Enrique before him. The absolute, you can, you know, the stars of this team, Modric, uh, Benzema and Courtois and now Vinicius but but the embodiment mm. is Valverde Valverde who plays in midfield when asked to who Zidane trusted absolutely and we couldn't work it out at first we're like we, we like him but like why does he why does we know why Zidane likes him but why does Zidane love him and, they, and Ancelotti loves him because this man will play in any position he's required to he would play in a false nine if he was needed to yeah, he plays, he plays a right back yeah. he's like a Sergio Roberto he'll do whatever but he does it to such a level. Like, mm. and it's not just the energy, because we talk too much about his energy, I think. It's the tactical intelligence. He's it's the versatility. Is, you know, Lucas Vasquez is the same thing as well. It was so nice to see them standing quite close to each other, receive their medals, because I thought to myself, you are like the kind of, you're the next in that lineage of that player. And that's the kind of football that Madrid absolutely adore. And that mm. frankly, any top level coach adores. To walk into a dressing room and find someone like Valverde, be like, yep, yep, I'll run. I'll run 15 kilometers coach and I'll do it in whatever position you want. I'll do it for 90 minutes. And it was really fitting in the construction of the goal, actually. The beauty of the Madrid goal is a really well-worked goal, actually. I've got to say this. Some big parallels with Roma Feyenoord, actually. Oh, yes. I like big that. parallels. Yes. Roma Feyenoord parallels. Teams sitting deep. Now we're talking. Waiting <laughs> wait for me to get exhausted. Superbly worked goals and then shutting up shop after mm. that goal went in and the air going out of the match. So the, the way this goal is amazing is that Modric receiving possession in a place where he's been getting it all night and been pressed all night because Carvajal's pushing up. He gets the ball and Andy Robertson is hunting him with the press. And Robertson mm. is like one of the worst. He'll be hunting you. What does he do? We use the Top Gun analogy. It's like a dogfight. He like mm. goes left, goes right, swerves out of trouble, then plays this beautiful reverse pass into the gap behind Robertson as he's pressing him. And that sets it off. That sets it off. Valverde gets the ball, eventually drives it across goal. And some say it was, some are saying, no, it's a driven cross across the box because, you know, either Benzema will be there or Vinicius. And I have to say this, we've, it's been mentioned many times elsewhere, but poor Trent Alexander-Arnold. Like, oh, yeah. he, he, he is so good at delivering the ball. There are times when if he doesn't find his man, it's the equivalent of a missed chance because his delivery is that good. Like if he gets on someone's head, it's basically a goal, right? The sadness here with this moment, and I wonder if they were slightly distracted in a bit by the, by the penalty shout because Mo Salah had uh, a couple of attempts. They called for a handball, uh, then they broke, Madrid got it, recycled it. And they're cutting in and Trent, he doesn't look over his shoulder and he just sees the cut. And at mm. these moments, you know, we've seen Vinicius time and again float in like that. But here's the thing, a player of his quality should be heavily supervised. And he's not the only one that did that. Like it's not like any other Liverpool player was watching it because if you look at the game and the switch that, that Madrid worked, there's not a single Liverpool player looking in Vinicius' direction. They're all watching Valverde and the break. They're all watching that movement. And that's a, basically a benefit of the switch that Madrid did. Mm. But still, that defensive lapse. I mean, it's so early in his career that he'll go on and do other stuff and win other stuff. But I'm just glad he didn't make that mistake when he was 32. Yeah. Because that's the thing that's difficult. Does that make sense? It's difficult to come back from anything like that late in your career, I think. Yeah, on the Valverde thing, you went, I reposted your tweet that you wrote about him completely embodying the spirit of this Real Madrid team. 
and I realized he was so, we hyped him so much and he was actually super well hyped, but super, mm. super hyped when he came onto the scene under Zidane. I was trying to think like, when did he start going under the radar again? Or when was he started, when did he start getting a little bit underrated, let's say? And it was the red against Atleti. Do you remember <laughs> that? Yes, yes. But since then, he's kind of actually been under the radar, it's, it's felt like, to mm. me anyway. But we have to shout out your, good, your pal, Mark Cooper. Yes, yes. He, po- he reposted a tweet that he wrote in like 2015 saying uh, Fede Valverde from Peñarol under 15s, watch him. Like he's one to watch out for or something like that, basically. I love it so much. The smugness of the retweet is <laughs> <laughs> incredible. But you know what? I had a smugness as well because I found an old tweet that I wrote, a tweet that I wrote about Kanate. And I think that in all of this, this is something that's going to be lost is that Ibrahim Kanate was in a shout for man of the match, he was sublime. Like, and I mean sublime. And the thing about Kanate, which I think is just, I think it got lost a little bit when he, he had that bad injury and it took him a little bit of a while to get fully back to his pre-injury form. And also the emergence of Upa Meccano afterwards. He, they, he started getting a lot more of the, the hype. Mm. But Kanate before, I watched him uh, against Bayern and he was 19 at the time. And uh, I remember tweeting, I said, I, this was, I think, pre-Stadio even. And I, I said, like, from an Arsenal point of view, I've just watched Kanate because he was linked with Arsenal, do you remember, for 20 yeah, million, yeah. 20 million pounds, I think it was at the time, in 2018-19. So it's the first time I've seen him live. And he just dealt with Lewandowski. And I mean, dealt with him. Like, it was to the point where I was just like, wow, this is, yeah. this is kind of wild. But then the, the amazing thing is that he could be, he could be 5'11 and really slight. And actually, the other aspects of his game would still I make told him this like the an first time I saw him, I thought he was a winger. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. saw him at Leipzig and I saw him, he broke down the right flank and I'm like, oh my God, this winger's unbelievable. Then something, then <laughs> jog yeah. back 60 yards. Oh my God. He's the amount of times that back. he, in that initial season when he broke through at Leipzig or those two seasons that he broke through at Leipzig, where he would step out of the defence with the ball yeah. and just kind of go and then yeah. he, he, he his passing was super crisp very intelligent he's just like but also his positional play oh my god the way so he handled Vinicius good like it's the so way he good handled and the Vinicius. spatial awareness no one else does kind that. of like the vision that you have to have of the whole picture yeah he is amazing and I think that the way Klopp has managed him actually into that Liverpool side has been incredible you just chuck it was him really in clever having him. Really clever having him alongside Trent for that period. One of one of the signings of the season, I think. Yeah, I can't remember who was talking about now. It might have been the. I think it might have been Seb actually. Seb Stafford-Bloor on the Tifo live stream after the game, and he said that now it's not like Virgil, Van Dijk, and the Liverpool defense. It's like every single player has their own individual qualities that they bring to it that everyone can acknowledge and see. And I know that they lost the game, but there were some really good performances on there. You know, I think. Salah was busy. A lot of, I saw a lot of people saying that he was just like, where is he? He's invisible. And I was like, what? Could have scored. Like he, he scores have, against... I know. Mo Salah scores against 97% of other goalkeepers. Yeah. 99%. But the only problem is the 1% was playing in the final against him. That's it really. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say he did... It, the man didn't bottle anything. He could, nearly scored at the near post. Courtois was brilliant to get down to that. And then he looks at the far post. Sorry, he nearly scored at the far post. And Courtois just parried it away. Like, mm. and the strength of the arm he got to that, the speed and the strength of the arm he got to that save, most people concede that. Like, 
it's it's easy to look at this from a Liverpool perspective and go, oh, we failed here, we failed there. Sometimes you have to accept that you're playing against someone who put in one of the great goalkeeping performances. It made nine saves. And they were not all routine, as you say. They were not all routine at all. And not just the saves. Saves like that are demoralising. Mm. They're demoralising because then you're thinking, oh my goodness, that's not beating him. You start having to work harder to create different opportunities because if you can't beat him from 20 yards, you have to fashion a chance from close in. They're harder to fashion because the team's sitting deep and it's demoralising. The knock-on effect of a save like that is exponential. And we saw that in the game, yeah. actually. The moment the goal went in with half an hour to go, the energy shifted. Like, and, and you might say that it always does. Actually, no, because if you look at the big finals, as I said before, the last three finals now, Champions League, have been decided 1-0. Yeah, and, and also the, the, the thing about it is that when you've thrown so much aside and mm. you've been in such complete control, the only reason you're not ahead is because of a otherworldly goalkeeping performance. And then that happens. Yeah. There's just a bit of like, oh, fuck. That is this literally, is the, that was, yeah, that's the, and, and that happens. That's psychological. Jack like, Reed has said it. He said like, 2-0 down against Villa, we yeah, thought we it was our day. Yeah. Elite footballers who cost a hundred million pounds who are going, Openly admitting, yeah, actually, it's just, it is psychological. Yeah. Let's talk about Thibaut Courtois. He's just tweeted, actually. I feel sorry for LFC fans and the way they were treated. I hope everyone got home safe. Was he man of the match? I think, yes, he was. Not by much. I mean, um, I know that his saves, maybe, his saves were outstanding. Um, I thought Modric was brilliant. I thought Valverde was superb. Obviously, Vinicius gets the winner. Benzema has worked very hard. I think, yeah, I th- I th- Courtois is man of the match. I would say he's man of the match and that's a fair, there is, yeah, but then the, there's a kind of a, pa- a chasing pack behind him. And I know that there were outstanding Liverpool players in that performance. You mentioned Canate, but I think that the man of the match has to go to a winner. H- who would yours have been? I think, I think Courtois. Yeah, yeah I think the Courtois. sheer scale of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Canate was in for a shower. I think Freddy Valverde was in for a shower. I think Modric at, at push could be I think Valverde was, yeah, Valverde is probably my second, I, would I think say. Courtois, because yeah. it was... Look at it in an MVP setting. There's a different goalkeeper in there. You just, they don't win that game, I don't think. And his, the saves kept getting better as well. Yeah. This is the thing. Yeah. Like it started off and they just elevated. Mm. And then you're like, at a certain point, you're like, this man is absolutely locked in. And I think in this calendar year, so Courtois is really interesting because when he went to Real Madrid, he had a really big wobble for a while. Yes. This season in particular, and I would say specifically this calendar year, since the turn of the mm. year, but all season, I think in La Liga, to be fair, he has been one of Real Madrid's player of the seasons and an like integral so. part of the reason that they have won the league and the Champions League this season. The number of times he's kept them in a the game mm. as long enough for Benzema to score a decisive goal, unbelievable. Yeah. Courtois hasn't been in the conversation for the world's best goalkeeper for a good few years. But this year he is actually, he's absolutely in the conversation for world's best goalkeeper or top three, four, whatever, because I think it's Absolutely. really, I, I think it's super hard. I don't think there is a definitive single best goalkeeper in the world. I think that there is, there, no. the, the, there are four or five goalkeepers that are operating at such an obscenely high level. Shout out to Money Mike Maignan. Yeah, exactly. Money, Money Mike. Mike. <laughs> Courtois is up there for a shout. He made more saves or as many saves in a Champions League run-in as yeah. Edison made an entire Premier League season. I know. <laughs> that is fucking wild. The man was getting peppered from distance. And this is the thing, like, this team is unbelievable because we've called them, I've called them like makeshift Madrid before where sometimes it's like they're being held together mm. by sheer will. Like, you know, Tony Cruz didn't move very much, but he, does, he basically didn't lose the ball. 
mm. Casemiro pushed forward now and again. You've, you've basically got a kind of a core of that team being held together by technique, yes, but also above that by sheer will. Mm. Very John Wick style. And, and Courtois, you know, in this, this run-in was sheer will. As far as a goalkeeper can exude aura, and this is the thing with goalkeepers, it's aura, right? Mm. Who's got it? Who doesn't? Courtois at the moment has aura. Yes, he Manuel does. Manuel yeah. lost it. Courtois lost it for a while. And got it back. Courtois lost it and got it back. back and that's yeah. the key to a goalkeeper. And when you have that, like if a goalkeeper is great of their generation, the question is, do they have aura? And mm. that's a question that's easily answered. Yeah, It's easily answered. And very few you look at and be like, actually, yes, they've got it. They've got it. They've got it at this point. Shout out to Thibaut. Shout out to Real Madrid. Shout out to Carlo Ancelotti. And we haven't talked about this enough, but very briefly, Carlo Ancelotti now the only coach to have won four, four Champions, Champions League leagues. titles. Zizou, who's won three in a row, just in the crowd with hoodied up. That was so oh, funny. Um, so cool. Quick on Tony Kroos, because in Germany, yeah. it's uh, the Champions League finals broadcast on two outlets. So it was on uh, ZDF, and, which mm. is just terrestrial free-to-air TV. It's also on the zone. <laughs> and on, on the ZDF broadcast, the guy asked Tony Kroos if he was surprised about Liverpool dominating. And Tony Kroos' response was, you had 90 minutes and you come up with this uh, with two shit questions and then he starts to walk away he says two negative questions you can tell right away that you're German but the funny thing is he's then ushered into the DAZN interview which I was watching on DAZN because yeah. people were talking about this and I was like oh no no I saw it on DAZN and he was he was fine yeah yeah and he's he was straight in at DAZN super chipper Alaba comes in they're all having a fucking laugh like yes and the interview was just like oh yeah uh uh, Sandro Wagner called you Sir Tony Cross, and he was just like, "Oh wow, lovely!" And like they were having a lovely old time, but it was so funny how it was this this like complete chalk and cheese. Well, it's because he made a good point. Cross, Cross was like, "It's a Champions League final. It's not some like you know Mickey Mouse thing. It's like a he had a point because I mean there'll be mixed opinions about this, but the Cross reaction is like, it's like I'm in my thirties and Casemiro is aging, and so is Modric, and like they're giving us the runaround. Like it's Liverpool. He said like this is." This is a level of resilience you have to have. Like, how else did you expect them to come at us? So I had some sympathy, but actually, while you're on the DAZN post-match stuff, I want to just mention, just to close on Ancelotti, there was a really beautiful moment when, you know, because some might look at Ancelotti and be like, oh, like the mystery of Ancelotti, how's he doing it? And then there's a gorgeous moment when they're talking about Ancelotti winning all these Champions Leagues and Sami Khedira is there. And he says, this is on DAZN, and and Ancelotti goes, oh. This was really nice. It's gorgeous. And he says, he says, um, oh, look, you know, it's about, you know, you, you, you believe your players, you believe in your players, you trust your players. You know, I brought in Sammy when Sammy had been out for six months with an injury. I brought him into play in 2014 when he won the Decima, the 10th uh, for Real Madrid, mm. like his first title there. You know, Sammy, you remember that? And Sammy Kadira goes over and goes, he says, it was basically like, you know, boss, like, they love him. They're like, you called me every day when I was injured to make sure I was okay. And eventually I was like, at the end of the week, I was like, boss, it's fine. Like, take care of the rest of the team. I'm going to be fine. And that's the kind of man he is. And you're like, my God, you see in these tight games, it's not about, tactics are extremely important, absolutely. But in these really, really close games, what it comes down to is the emotional bond that Ancelotti has with his players, the trust, and I would say even the love. When you see seasoned campaigners like Modric fanboying all over him at the end, you see the young players like Vinicius flocking to him. You're like, my God, this man, like Zidane before him, transmits such a sense of calm Mm. And actually, here's the tell. Ancelotti and, and Zidane, they reveal how nervous footballers actually are deep down. 
Because if, if they were really, if it was all about being hyped and super intense, then those footballers wouldn't gravitate so much towards it. But in the yeah, middle yeah. of the high pressure world of football, which a lot of footballers mask from us because it's their job to like wear a bit of a mask, Ancelotti's kind of like a beacon of reassurance. And that's why he's adored. And that's why him and Zidane have won seven Champions League titles as coaches between them. Does that make sense? It's the calm. <laughs> it's the zen. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, I think the story of, of this season for Ancelotti is kind of just unbelievable. So obviously he won the Latessima, fired the following season because of a Perez being like, mm, uh, you're not really our guy, you know? Right. And then is actually genuinely quite happy at Everton. He was on the phone and they were asking him, he wasn't, se- he wasn't first choice, he wasn't second choice, he wasn't even third choice, he wasn't a choice for Real Madrid until he casually threw out the kind of like, well, I mean, I could do it. And then that's it. And I don't think he would have left for anywhere else. There's no one that coaches them. There's no one that coaches these Madrid players to that title, but Ancelotti. There's no one else that can do that. No, not this season. And this is not a disrespect to coaches or to Madrid players. It's the unique self-belief that he could give these players. What Madrid needed when he came in was not tactical solutions. They didn't need that. They, not that he can't provide that, he can. But there are players that would have, there were coaches that would have come in with a particular tactical plan that might not even have won the league, quite frankly, actually. Like also, it's worth pointing out that Real Madrid have kind of looked out a little bit just with how things have played out. Like, for example, not getting Mbappe last season, we talked about this, meant that Vinicius Jr. was giving a season to really shine. When if Mbappe rocks up last season, he's playing you don't see in his that position. Vinicius Jr. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, arguably, you would say, I mean, it's hard to. Any, every team in world football would need an Mbappe but if you look at the problem positions that Real Madrid need to prioritise it's not left it's not the left side of wide forward it's, it's not, not it's not it's not even like out of 11 players on the pitch it's probably not even top 8 no it's not it's really not <laughs> you know and so as good as that would have been because Real Madrid love their marquee signings you know this they love these kind of people they love their Celtic centre-backs too. Sorry. <laughs> they do, they really do. Militao's lucky this podcast running long because otherwise I'd have words for him as well. Can I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't ask, but do you know when I knew it wasn't Liverpool's night? Do you know when I knew? And I'm not, I don't mean mm. to laugh. It was briefly amusing. When Militao goes in, I think he was at Luca, Luis Diaz, he fouls. Well, no, no, it was, it was, I think it was Robertson he collides with. Falls down with his face on the ball. Oh, clutches yeah, his own face. And gets naughty. a free kick and I'm like that was very naughty oh my goodness and <laughs> um, well they got Rudiger coming in by all accounts so Rudiger and Alaba are in the back too that's unbelievable that's brilliant, that is that's unbelievable. Like, yeah. uh, one thing we haven't talked about was the disallowed Benzema goal yes but, I mean it didn't so matter. much analysis yeah it didn't matter it didn't matter but um, can I just uh, my, my thoughts on this I, I tweeted it so I'll just read you the tweet uh, one of those very very spiritually onside yes. but in quotes oh my god this is, this is me. This is me imagining I'm in the VAR. Actually, I'm going to riff this. All right, guys, uh, there's a goal gone in. We think it's offside. Can you check it? All right, guys, we're on. All right, let's have a look. I mean, it looks fine to me. I mean, but, oh, hang on a minute. They changed that thing in the rule, didn't they, for clarity? <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, they did. Right, hang on a minute. How long have we been going? Oh, about, we're on about 57 seconds. All right, okay, get the rule book. Quick, 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 quick. <laughs> Dave, get the rule book. I don't know if the VAR's got Dave. Get the rule book. Okay, right. Read me the criteria again. Yep, yep. Deliberate action. Yep, playing point. Yeah. Okay, what do you think? I, I mean, I kind of think he's, I kind of think it's a goal. All right. 
Tommy, what about you? I don't know why I'm naming these guys. Tommy, what do you think? Well, I mean, I don't want to give it, but the rules, I think I think we've got to give it offside. All right. Uh, Clive? Gerald, Gerald. Gerald, Jerry. Let's do Jerry. Ger- I've, been watching, Ger- I've been watching winning time, so fuck it. Jerry, Ger- Jerry. I'm going to call him Jerry and Pat. Jerry, Pat. Yeah, I... I mean, I I think it's a goal, but I mean, I'm an I'm an old I'm a I'm a traditionalist, and I I I have to admit, I haven't actually read the rules for this season. Oh, for fuck's sake, man! You're meant to be a VAR. Come on, it's like right, okay, guys, how long are we on now? Can we get a time check? Yeah, two minutes and forty seven seconds. Oh shit! Everyone's gonna be watching this. Uh, we need to get on with it. What do you think? What's everyone saying? All right, quick! I just want one word. Uh, offside goal. goal. Oh, we're gonna have to give it offside. We're gonna have to give this offside. We can't. We can't give this. Yeah, we can't like, give this. This is so spiritually onside. That giving it offside is against the spirit of the game, but we have to give it offside. We have to give it offside. And this is the process that I imagine it's going like full sitcom <laughs> in the VAR room. You know, it's like it's like fucking Lloyd Bridges in airplane. They're all there being like I picked the pick the wrong week to drink <laughs> stop drinking. And the VAR thing comes up. Next minute, Clive's Clive's got the glue up his nose and he's just like this was meant to be for clarity. This was meant to be for clarity. <laughs> no one knows what's going on. No one knows. I would watch. Just make it fucking short, simple. Just I would make short, it simple. A short film. Of, I'd watch a short film of that. I would watch a 10 minute short HBO Max just called oh The Offside. That would be incredible. Just, just no, just called the VAR room. Just, just, just the pandemonium of it. You could do it like office, the office style and just call it Stockley Bug. <laughs> Why are we giving away this content? Why are we t- <laughs> yeah wow but um i mean it's one of those i don't like those kind of decisions no spiritually as a goal i think unfortunately if you really go through the criteria it's, it's yeah, not yeah i know we're going long but let's talk about liverpool yeah i still think this has been an incredible season for them mm. you don't get to play in every single game that you can do that season one of them being the champions league and you don't go into the final day of the season with a chance to win the league and you don't win both domestic cups unless you are operating at a level of consistency that is incredibly hard to achieve and maintain in the modern game. Yeah. The one slight issue, I think, for Klopp, they've only really come unstuck against the very elite teams. Mm. So didn't score against Real Madrid in the final, didn't score in, obviously, against Chelsea in either of the finals. Mm. They didn't beat anyone else in the top four in the Premier League this season. They yeah. drew every single game. Yeah. Those little margins against the teams that are operating anywhere within their level will be something that they look to address, I think, next season. If there's anything they can add, they need their Camavinga. Well, so does everyone. They need their Camavinga. They need their game-breaking dribbler from midfield. I've said this before. Yeah, I don't think Kate is it. No, I don't think so. He was meant to be that. And he was that for yeah, Leipzig, but the injuries mm. and all the rest of it. But that's what they need. And Klopp's not stupid. He knows that that's, a, that's a, an element they need. They don't have that. You need someone. And we, I say it time and again, but that, that Guardiola quote about Iniesta taught me to run at the centre-backs. Mm. You need someone to go at the guts of the defence because there's chaos there. You know, with Militao yeah. and some of his positioning um, and some of his defending, you, you, they give you a chance if you go at them, if you cause them mm. real trouble. If the team is sitting deep, then brilliant switches are part of the plan, but they're not going to cut it ultimately. Mm. Which is why actually I like the idea of Mane going centrally and he nearly got some joy there with his, you know, his shot tipped onto the post. I just think that Liverpool need that consummate dribble. That's why, you know, someone like Hassem Awar, they look at someone like that. It'd be a great sign. But someone's going to win you free kicks in the final third consistently. You know, or like, well, I, I hate to say, that's what Greenwich was signed for. Gavi. 
Gavi, absolutely. But that's what that's what Grealish is going to give City next year. Watch out for that. Yeah, I mean, we've seen them. We've seen Liverpool struggles this season have been against. Not always. They've either been against sides who are obviously otherworldly or super elite, mm. or they've been against teams who sit deep and just stop. Them. And Liverpool, to their credit, created that problem because their pressing was so good. Yeah. Their problem was so their, their pressing was so good. The only way to defend against them was to sit really deep. And now they've got to get those players that will run at defenders with such skill that the defenders will have to bring them down, concede something, and they'll build set plays around it. Yeah. And then that will allow Trent to exploit that. So, you know, it's not, it's not a dim and for Liverpool. And I said this uh, in a couple of friends, they're really down about it, understandably. I said, look, you're going to, you've got a young enough squad to do this again next year. If you're basing purely the result of each final as a barometer of whether you- this season is good or not after 63 games in every single competition you could play in and even if they'd won crucially even if they'd won they would still have to buy the profile of player that we've exactly. been talking about that's, yes. a, that's the key and Klopp would know that yeah 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 so I think they'll be <laughs> look fine look at us telling Liverpool to buy players <laughs> there you go do you, you must do this oh, God but yeah uh, very quickly another other, other football very very yes. quickly yes it was Frauen Pokal Finale day on Saturday in Germany Wolfsburg completed another double they did, they Their did. eighth straight Pokal. Yikes. They beat Turbina Potsdam 4-0. It was a great achievement for Turbina to get to the final. It was, the, it was their ch- first chance of a trophy in, or first, they were going for their first trophy in 10 years. The last time they won the Frauen Bundesliga, which was kind of at the end of their like dynastic period, I suppose. Wolfsburg were 3-0 up at half time. The third was a Jill Raw and angry goal. It, it was an angry goal. It was, it was, it was. They were just too good, unfortunately. Uh, for Turbina but um, they were close to getting into the Champions League They'll, I think it's been encouraging for them this season they'll look to kick on next year and I mean the thing about the the Frauen Bundesliga in German and and obviously then the, the Pokal is that just the gap between those top two and the rest is a little bit too big still but it, I do think it's closing um, yeah. so it might take a couple of years more investment because obviously Eintracht who got into the Champions League they rebranded as Eintracht just a couple of years ago they were FFC before so uh, Turbina have a partnership with Hertha and that's going to take a while I think to see the full effects of that so yeah obviously disappointing but not completely discouraging I don't think but yeah no, no, not Wolfsburg won the double uh, also it was the first leg of the Liga MX final Atlas going for their second straight title and they beat Pachucha 2-0 in the first leg yeah this was um, the, the second goal in particular I think by Quinones is incredible Mm. This is a triumph, like of what's that song? Don't stop believing. Like <laughs> final minutes, like injury time, breakaway. Quinones is out by himself against three defenders. Presses one of them, wins possession, beats another who falls to the ground, and then like just shimmies past another, like gets a lucky deflection, and then places in the bottom corner. Two 0 the ninety fourth minute, and like just a triumph of perseverance. Mm. I loved this goal so much. It's like a sort of old school, like Steve Claridge, with slightly more, like slightly more finesse. But yeah, it was a. It's actually one of my favourite centre forward goals. Just watching the yeah. sheer determination to keep, <laughs> keep hammering. There, there was there was no. If you watch if you watch the highlights of that goal, there was no good reason to chase that ball down. There was nothing there. And like thirty seconds later, he's almost decided the title. So yeah, uh, just very quickly. Let's finish on the fourth tier of the English football. Port Vale beat Mansfield Town in the League Two playoff final to go up to League One. I'm loving the playoffs all coming in, actually. So Sunderland the week before, that Port, Port Vale. Very exciting. Huddersfield, Nottingham Forest. That's, uh, I know, that's going to be a hell wow. of a game. It's a great story. Uh, we'll talk about that on Wednesday. This, you, yeah. You'll know the result by the time you hear this. 
You uh, will. So congratulations to fans of the winners and congratulations Indeed. to fans of the losers. Uh, I reckon I'll do it for today, huh? We've gone long. Let's do it, yeah. Let's bounce. Let's bounce. Um, don't forget we'll be back on Wednesday with the end of season mailbag. At Stadio on Twitter, hello at stadio.football is the email. If you want to email us. Also get your what ifs in. We'll do a what if episode that will go out the following week. Yeah, don't forget to check theringer.com forward slash soccer. There might be some pieces going up this week. Check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Yeah. Speaking of which, we are playing out on the Jack's Transit Authority. Life is a miracle. Because it is indeed. it's kind of unofficially our end of season episode, even though it's not. So we mm. thought we'd uh, we'd go out with a banger. Let's do it. Anything you want to add, Musa Gonga? I think you should add some. Hasamawa to it. Arsenal. Oh, oh, there I said it. Oh, why don't? <laughs> <laughs> I just stopped doing transfer hot takes. It's not that time when Messi said it, you know originally he was going to leave Barcelona and people were photoshopping him in an Arsenal show. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> listen, I've got to get. Listen, people have to dream. You, have to dream. you say Wait. life is a miracle, that transfer would be a miracle, so why not speak into existence? <laughs> <laughs> All right, much love, everyone. We'll be back on Wednesday. See you then. See you then.